Well, good afternoon. Our our Lots of Matzah Pizza Pod today, we bring in Associate Head Coach from the University of Wisconsin, Mark Osiki. Mark has a very, very decorated hockey career, whether it's coaching or playing the game, state championships at Burnsville, national championship at Wisconsin, and many as a coach as well. This should be a very action-packed podcast. I'm really looking forward to learning more about Mark and his hockey career. Hope you enjoy it. Love is a burning thing And it makes a fiery ring Bound by wild desire I fell into a ring of fire Well, well, well. Thank you very much, Mark, for joining us today on the Pizza Pod. It's going to be a blast getting to know about you. Yeah, thanks for having me, Tony. Well, uh, we go way back, believe it or not. We talked, learned about this on the phone uh, before we turned the recorder on. I lived in Burnsville uh, until I was in kindergarten, and we are the same age. So we were, we could have gone to the same grade school and all those other great things. I lived near the Bessers and the and the Bransons, and I'm sure you have some great memories of growing up in Burnsville. Well, it's unreal. We, if you lived by those guys, you went to Neil. So that was our arch rival. I was this viewer. So our park was the dump compared to Neil. You guys were the high end, the high rollers. But. We were high rollers. We were definitely <laughs> high rollers. We had yep. to move. We had yep, to, we, exactly. we, it was such high roller with such high rent. We had to move to the inner city. So, um, yes, we were a Neil school family. All my brothers were Neil schools. All my brothers played Burnsville youth hockey and BA. It was like, it was BAA back then, all the sports back then, but what a great influence the Bessers and Branson's had. I mean, they're, they each had like 10 kids and they all, they're all boys. It was always a, there was always a foot, Football game, a hockey game, or a baseball game every fifth, you know, every day somewhere. Well, if there was something going on in the city, if there was any kind of scrap or any kind of altercation or some some uproar, it was usually the Bransons or Bessers were involved. <laughs> I said that on the air. Some I can't remember who else I was just doing a podcast with, and I made mention the fact that yeah, there if there was a fight, you, you could pretty much guarantee there'd be a Besser or Branson there. You know, they were they were a rough and tumble group, that's for sure. Well, then you then you expand on that with Bessers. I mean, and then they're uh, the Autumn family is married into the Besser family, so all of a sudden it expands more. And Autumns were an unreal athletic family coming through Burnsville. Yeah, it was funny. I I, I tell people where I live, and like, oh my God, Brookview Drive. I, we lived here. They lived there. I mean, it was just like insane how many great athletes were just within two blocks of where I live growing up for as at a very young age. So. Um, and, and the best part about it is Tom Osiki, even then in whatever, 1973, 74, 75, in that era, he was already becoming a legend before he had even won a state championship. And, and he was just a great hockey coach and well, well respected coach. Uh, I'd like you to elaborate on the influence that your dad has had. And then obviously you told me before we turned the recording on is that your, your grandpa had a big influence too on the, in the coaching world. Yeah, I think there might have been some parents at that time that didn't think he was that respected, but uh, pretty interesting uh, to be able to grow up in a family like that. Obviously, I'll start with my grandfather. His influence on me uh, went to the University of St. Louis uh, at the time when he played six sports while he was there at school and uh, had NFL contracts and MLB contracts offered to him. And his influence on me get into sports, but more importantly, coaching uh, probably was as a young kid, the very, very influential. And then you go to my dad, obviously with him building the program at Burnsville, not only hockey, he started soccer, was involved with football and baseball, starting the programs, but built the first outdoor rink at Burnsville. And uh, ever, ever since I can remember, I used to go to every single game, be on the bus, be at the practices, be on the bench when there were brawls, going with Hill Murray and scrimmages. I mean, it, it, it definitely influenced me in terms of wanting to get to get into the sport, not only as an athlete, but as a coach. Your dad, I mean, when people think of when if they were writing a book, they would, you know, they would mention, oh, yeah, legendary Burnsville coach, but his coaching goes way beyond 1986 when you left Burnsville High School. I mean, after what he did, what he did after 1986 is almost more important than what he did before 1986. Do you agree to that? 
He probably would say that. I mean, he, you know, coaching boys, uh, you know, we didn't know any better. And, and there's zero, probably zero gratitude from any boy that you're coaching at the time. And right. maybe 10, 10, 20 years later, there's more gratitude. But when he got into, he had a stint five years with the North Stars and, and did some pro scouting and um, and then got back into it on the grassroots side of, of women's hockey, helped at Wisconsin, started St. Thomas, St. Olaf. USA hockey on the women's side and then obviously at University of Minnesota but I think that's where he really feels like he helped hockey uh helping girls get involved in the sport uh trying to get more women into coaching and really pushing and even stepping aside at Minnesota uh where he's like hey yeah I'd love to stay still stay coaching but I think you got to hire a female get somebody in here and that uh some uh, female that's going to get into coaching that's where he really feels like he uh hung his hat on yeah, uh, that, that, it's funny. So still to this day, you know, the, the, there's kind of like a burnt-in memory of your dad's face, and and you know, because he's a legend. It's kind of like Willard Eichel. He's one of those in Sats. They're just kind of a, a legendary. It's funny. I'll be at a high school game even now, and he, your dad will walk in the rink. I'm like, God, do you know who that is? And and then the younger people are like, oh, yeah, that's Tom Osiki, coach at Burns. They're like, who? You know, and I'm like, well, let me explain to you who he is and what he brought to the the history of our game here in Minnesota. It's a it's a fascinating tale, that's for sure. Do I do I have to tell him that you're saying you're calling him a legend? Uh, he's gonna listen, so I'm pr- I'm pretty sure he's gonna listen. So we don't have to tell him. But yeah, he was a le- in my eyes, he was. I mean, playing against Burnsville and and, and maybe just because I grew up there, I kind of followed you guys even closer, you know, because of the neighborhood tie or whatever. But I just had a huge amount of respect. Our whole family. Family had a huge amount of respect uh, for for Mr. Osiki. That's what we called him. So, yeah, I mean, to this day, I mean, I, if I don't talk to him once a day, and we're talking hockey or some sort of coaching, uh, it's unreal how not only influential he is for me, but a lot of people that are still involved with the game at some level uh, still talks to him that day about his influence on what he brought to the table. I mean, I, I obviously I'm very close with Donnie Granado. It goes back to grade eight when I first knew the family. Yeah. Um, but you know, Don, Donnie talks about it uh, to this day, best coach he's ever had by, by far ever, best coach he's ever been around. Oh, that's so cool to hear. Um, and you got a coaching, you, he kind of gave you your first coaching reins, uh, you know, coaching, a, a little summer camp, uh, in the off seasons, uh, when he, he and Mr. Saturday and were, were putting together camps. Yeah, you know what, Jeff, Saturday and myself used to go and 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 uh, whether it was forced upon us to get there and, and help coach that uh, summer hockey camp, uh, it's probably where we learn the most. Uh, I know for me, um, I probably learned the most in my game and improved my game the most by being in that camp, not not as a participant, but coaching and uh, watching what Tom Saturday did and, and how he taught it, what my dad did. Uh, but then us trying to replicate that, I think that's really where my game grew. But certainly it was fun times. There's a lot of really good hockey players that came through that uh, summer hockey camp. And, uh, man, those are great memories. So you go to the – after you win two state championships, before we get to the college, I mean, this is a long story. I mean, and it's a great story. Everywhere I turn while researching this, like, oh, there's another championship. Oh, there's another championship. There's another Hobie Baker Award winner. There's another, you know, It's pretty fascinating, your your career here. Hopefully we got enough time and enough uh, battery on my phone to get this thing done. But you, you have – what are your greatest memories of winning the state title? I mean, you go back and there's so many, I mean, people could spend an entire show on just winning one, but you won two. Um, you know, it, it, it actually starts even before the, the winning a championship and championship is a gravy. And that's what keeps the memories alive. And, and certainly down the road, it keeps memories alive. But some of my memories, I grew up four houses away from Kevin Gorg and, my memories were, were really going to the rink with Kevin Gorgon, getting stuck in snowbanks and, and uh, just the, the, the neighborhood feel of our Burnsville teams that we all grew up together. And, and then to, to have the opportunity to win a championship together was incredible. Um, and then some of the challenges that my dad had as a, as a young kid, I remember being at Green Street's a local bar restaurant and uh, some, some parents wanted him out of coaching. And I was just, I was young. I mean, I grabbed onto the guy's leg and, the guy was trying to challenge my dad into a fight just so he could get him into trouble and try to get him out of coaching. And, uh, and then turn around in 86 or 85 to have the opportunity to win a first championship. And I think, you know, the, the two of us looked at each other and I think we both knew what that meant. 
And yeah. Well, it's funny you should say that. You, you talk about the, the, whatever, the fight or whatever, and I, I don't want to d- dwell on that, but you before we started this call, you talked about not playing on the 84 team, and, and you handled it really well. You're like, oh, I, I still give my dad a hard time about that, about not making that 84, but what was the main reason you didn't make the team as a sophomore? It's a great story. Well, I mean, I I would probably say my dad would say you're not good enough, and I'd probably say, yeah, you know, no problem. I, I probably wasn't good enough, and probably needed the confidence. Right. But I still give him crap about it, saying I should have been on that team, and certainly wanted to be on that team from a competitive standpoint. Yeah. But you know, more importantly, was you certainly weren't going to take too many underage kids, and at at that time, sophomores really didn't play varsity, and certainly on the, the programs that had depth. Um, and he wasn't going to put himself in that position and, and no, no question about it. I mean, the only player that got called up and played as a sophomore was uh, Scott Bloom and he deserved it. Yeah. The legendary Scott Bloom, another legend there. Um, but I thought you, when, when I asked you about it, you said, yeah, the last thing my dad could do was put me on the varsity. It would have just caused, you know, another, it would just cause more harm than good. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And he probably caused more harm with my mom. <laughs> more of a hard time that I was on JV and not on varsity, but you know, it, it, it was, it was a situation where you did, there's no way you could have put us on varsity and it's not just me. There was a couple other guys that easily could have been on varsity, but for the betterment of the program and the betterment of the JV team and even the varsity team, it was, it was better for us not to be there and he didn't have to deal with some headaches. I mean, I mean, Kevin Gore was a heck of a goaltender, and on a podcast with Tom Chorsky a few weeks ago, I was listening to. He was he talked about he didn't play varsity until his senior year. You oh know. man, Gor- Gorgie was an outstanding, I would say, character more so than a goaltender. Yeah. I don't know. I, I I don't know if I even can call him a goaltender, but yeah, right? it's funny. Like he he hangs in there and found a way and. Uh, that that junior year for him being on JV, we go undefeated, and then he gets his chances next year, wins a uh, wins a state tournament. Uh, you know, so outstanding. I mean, and then you look at Kevin; he was he was a really really good goaltender. I don't I think a lot of people don't know how good he was when he went to Des Moines. He was outstanding. If he would have got it out one more year, he definitely would have played Division One hockey. Yeah, yeah, it's tough. It's a, it's a tough battle, and we'll we'll get to the USHL in, in just a minute. One more player, I want to just a couple more players that that Burnsville guys. This, and talk about being in the wrong place at the wrong time. There weren't enough Division One programs for a guy like Mike Lutcraft. I mean, he, what an unbelievable athlete he was, and now he's giving back to the game, coaching in Northfield. Talk about Mike Lutcraft, Lucky, what what he brought to that team. That's crazy, actually. That's another neighbor of ours. So you had Mike and Andy Luckcraft. Andy was a goaltender before Gordy. Yep. So in '84. So, uh, but Mike, Mike was unbelievable athlete. I, I don't know. <laughs> as a defenseman, he skated like uh, Phil Housley type uh, defenseman. Um, actually, had unbelievable skills. Uh, unreal, just athlete, top to bottom. Obviously, a sod. And where he went to Minnesota at first and yep. tried to give it a go, and then that's switching and going to play golf. Um, wins us. I think we won. He won a state championship as a as a golfer. golfer so. Yeah, he was a great golfer. Unbelievable golfer. Someone like that that has the ability to play multiple sports. Hello. Yeah, you there? Yeah, you broke up on Mike Luckcraft there. That's funny. No, Mike. Mike was just—he's an unbelievable athlete. To be able to switch from hockey and then go be a high-level golfer, and like you said, now he's made a switch from his golfing and his his job, his professional job, to be able to be coaching and being able to give back at at that level. It's outstanding to see. It's always funny when I'm—I've—I've I've been to a couple Northfield games in in my day, and anytime I see a Northfield kid anywhere near Lucky, I always go, "Now do you realize how great your coach was as a hockey player?" Like, no, I had no idea. You know? It's, yeah, and Mike Mike would never say anything. No, so he's just so just so humble, and I think that's what made him such a great athlete. Yeah, no question. All right, so you get you had one little hiccup year. We'll call it the U.S. International years, very similar to Sean Podine, where you went there and it didn't work out. And and, and they end up going back to played in the USHL at the universe and, and attended the University of Wisconsin. What was that whole experience like playing hockey in San Diego? <laughs> uh, I have to laugh about it because it's such an interesting time of our lives. I mean, you know, we had opportunities to go to different schools. We chose not to for whatever reason. Um, and, and the USHL at that time really was a secondary thought. Most kids were coming out 
uh, of Minnesota high school hockey and, and going right into college hockey. Yeah. And it's just the way of the world at that time. So uh, USHL was somewhat of an afterthought. So we went there, played, I think we played four games. We ended up going to Alaska, uh, Anchorage, Fairbanks, and then uh, playing North Dakota. And they won a, they won national title that year and we split. And now they were, we are in quarters at that time there. So right. it came time to, at Thanksgiving, I think it was Thanksgiving weekend. And Sean and I both decided after a phone call with my dad that we were not going to stay. And we had to flip, flip a coin to see who's going in to talk to Brad first. And he's pretty intimidating <laughs> at that time. So we had to flip a coin who's going in to tell him first. And Pogues lost that flip. So he had to go tell him first. He went first. So you end up at Wisconsin. Um, your senior year at Wisconsin, uh, you win a national championship in Detroit. Uh, what a great group of guys that was. I went through the roster of that team. It was like, what a illustrious group of guys you played with what are your memories from from winning that uh national championship probably the best memory we had we had, we had such a great team a true team top to bottom played for each other had to figure that out go through a couple uh years before where we had unbelievably talented teams and end up coming up short and i think we learned a lot moving forwards but this this team really cared about each other really was a band of brothers um the, uh, the, the the thing that was so cool about it, probably the turning point of that year is when we were down by, I think, three goals with under five minutes left up at Northern Michigan and then coming back to tie it, going into overtime and winning in overtime. That was our changing moment. But the, the feeling of that and, and really no panic by anybody uh, felt that was our turning point and that's where everything turned. And, um, and it's, it's crazy how fast the times go because we just went 30 years uh, yesterday. Uh, it was our anniversary of it. And obviously we're on a big, huge tech strand. (laughs) That thing was blowing up until four in the morning last night. Oh, that's great. I love hearing that kind of stuff. Um, so you're done with school. Um, you know, at some point you've already decided at some point that you're going to coach hockey. You don't know where you're going to coach hockey, but you're going to give pro hockey a run and you played for five or six years after college. What were some of your great memories of playing at the professional level? You know, anyone's going to say your first goal, your first opportunity to be there. I I think just my first year of playing pro, being in the training camp where you're a Minnesota kid, you really don't understand uh, the ins and outs of training camps. And and, but you're stepping on the ice and all of a sudden you look around and you're going, oh, there's Sergei Makarov. You're going, are you kidding me? Al McKinnon, (laughs) are you kidding me? So, you know, the experience of that stepping on the ice the first day. Um, but then my, my first year in Salt Lake, I basically sent down to the old IHL playing in Salt Lake, played for an unbelievably great coach, Bobby Francis, who ended up coaching in uh, Phoenix there for a long time. Um, but I learned a ton from him in, in terms of coaching and in his relationship with players, how to push buttons, how to be hard when he needed to be. Uh, he was a developer. He was a skill developer. Um, and to this day, I still carry this black book around with me where I took a lot of things, both positive or negative, uh, jotted them down because I knew I was going to go into coaching. So, I mean, I was a traveling suitcase, right. but it, it, ultimately it was the best thing for me knowing that I was going into coaching at the time. I didn't like it. I wanted to stick with one team and, and make a career of it, but ultimately it was the best thing that ever happened that I moved around. So, so often then had so many opportunities to play for different style coaching staffs. It was unbelievably great education for me. So if you had the little black book, then when did you buy a little back the little black book? I bought that in, uh, 88. Okay. 88. So you had, you obviously had Jeff Sauer, right? Yep. Yep. I mean, talk about one of the legends right there, right? So you have, you have Jeff Sauer and then you go through the pros, you get probably a new coach each year, at least one new coach each year. So you got a lot, you have a kind of an incubator of how to become a great hockey coach in the, in those six years. It's, un, it's unbelievable. If you look back at as all the different coaches and whether it's good, bad, or indifferent really doesn't matter. I mean, you know, I catch Doug Riseborough when he's just getting into coaching in Calgary. And to this day, if I ever see him, he's like, ah, man, did I screw that up? I wasn't ready. <laughs> you know, I mean, he's very open conversations. It was, but what a great experience. But a lot of times I would be sitting there, not know if I'm playing and the national anthem starting and you, you didn't know if you're in the lineup or not in the lineup. So there's just a, a lot of different ways of communicating with players, black and white, you know, give it the truth. 
Um, but then, you know, you know, you get, uh, you fast forward, you get John Paddock, unbelievable coach, great X and O didn't say too much to players, but unbelievably well-prepared. You look at, uh, I had Rick bonus in, uh, in Ottawa and to this day, whenever I see him, I, I have to chuckle because the only thing he did on the bench is yell and scream and it was classic, but, uh, <laughs> you know, we laugh to this day. Um, maybe not the best teacher, right? But. You know, it, but there was a way there, there was a different way that he had and he, and he, and he needed to go through that as a young coach at the time, his way was, I don't even want to say it was intimidating. It was just, he was a yeller and screamer on the bench. He was so into the game that he never let, let down that guard of, okay, I can just relax and watch and, and teach and talk rather than just yelling and screaming the whole time. Uh, that's funny. So this is an interesting story. After, after your playing career, you just happened to get your first coaching job as an assistant at the University of North Dakota, which just so happens to win a national championship. You're like a good luck charm at this point. Well, it's probably, you know, I, I looked at my grandfather as, as helping me get into the profession of coaching or the misfortune to get into coaching, either way you want to look right, at it. Right. Um, but then, then obviously you got my dad <clears throat> who I bounce a lot of different things off of Dean blaze is a second dad for me. Um, so I have that opportunity to, to go up there, uh, coach there, uh, made my family or my wife at the time sell a house and move to Grand Forks without seeing it. And we go through the, the hundred year flood. Right. Uh, but you, you talk about an unreal year of winning everything there was to win and learning under Dean blaze and, and working with Scotty Sandlin. It was an unbelievable year. Yeah. What a staff, huh? Yeah, it was a blast. Yeah. I mean, we, we had a ball. Um, it was a really tight staff. Everything was done together all the time. It was a blast. Um, I had a chance to talk to uh, Jeff Panzer uh, on this podcast uh, a week ago, and he still says his greatest um, coaching influence is Dean Blaze. Elaborate on what made him such a great coach. Uh, black and white, demanded excellence, uh, demanded details. And whatever the details that he wanted, he demanded. Uh, it was very simple. Uh, he didn't overcoach, didn't overvideo, and, uh, but but he knew what he wanted and he was going to be a perfectionist at what he wanted. And he demanded it out of the players. Uh, funny story. We won the WCHA final five playoffs there at, at the old civic center. And uh, we're getting ready to jump on the bus, drive back to grand forks. And it's five minutes to whatever we leave at noon. It's 1155 and two of the players aren't there. Blazers like it. Hey, okay. We're gone. See ya. He left him. <laughs> no way. At the Radisson there in St. Paul and just said, well, they're not here. Well, we're leaving. They can find their own way back to Grand Forks. So, you know, it's just funny to, to look back on his, uh, what he demanded out of the team and then out of us as staff, out of the players. Uh, he knew what he wanted and he demanded it out of them. And it was very matter of fact. I mean, there were time, there were a few times where you let loose and go crazy on guys, uh, but very few far in between. He was just so intense on a daily basis that he demanded it out of everybody. Oh, I love it. I love that. It's funny, as Jeff was saying in, in the interview, and maybe it was before we turned the recording button on or not, I'm not sure. He's like, yeah, I love that guy so much, you know, because Jeff's a and same with Jay. They're just so driven, right? So what better fit to have a coach that's demanding for a guy that's driven? Like it's the perfect fit, right? I just keep pushing you and pushing you until, you know, you say uncle, right? Yeah, absolutely. You're, you're either going to sink or swim uh, just because of how he was demanding and uh, how intense he was, how badly he wanted. It didn't matter what he's playing, whether he's playing pinnacle or going to play golf. He wanted to win. He wanted to kick somebody's butt. That's just the way it was. Oh, that's great. All right, we're 24 minutes in, and we're only in 1997. So we gotta we got to get rolling here, and it's not easy because the next seven years of your career is pretty cool. You basically get the keys handed to you at the Green Bay Gamblers of the USHL, which is a different league in 1996 than it was in 1986, and it's definitely yeah. a different league than it is uh, today in 2020. Let's elaborate on that a little bit, and then we'll let's talk about some of your memories and great players too so what's the like what's the league like in in 1996 when you land there you know what it's crazy because i i end up getting a call from donnie granado he called dean blaze and it's late you're talking late august early september uh donnie leaves the green bay gamblers to go to columbus chill uh, and he wants to talk to me about going there and certainly you get offered and i go and and it's an eye-opener i mean i i end up i'm trying to hire an assistant coach you're trying to figure out how to run an organization um 
for a young coach get getting into a career of it in coaching ushl was the way to go it was awesome I and mean, you had to do everything we we had to sell ads we had to sell uh dasher boards you had to uh, i end up running the pro shop in terms of merchandise and uh not set aside you're you're trying to run a hockey team and build a hockey team and order equipment sharpen the skates so it it was a little bit of everything soup to nuts top to bottom uh of trying to be organized in time management and it was it was a blast it was the best seven years of my coaching career so far a little bit different than being at north dakota right where everyone does everything for you right (laughs) absolutely yeah absolutely we had one we had one owner uh, so I dealt with one owner and their family, and and once we figured out how to how to push each other's buttons, we had a blast with it, and it it really was a blast. But it was funny. I I go back and I look at it, and I think we talked about. It. I saw Jason Noterman and Danny Besser at a section section game at Mariucci here uh, this past year, and uh, we were talking, and we were just laughing about me sharpening skates. I have a tie over my shoulder, a scout's talking to me, and I'm sharpening skates, and guys are talking about the hollow that they want on their skate or what you know what they want on their skate and i always just yeah yeah whatever and used to run the skates throw them back at them and they never heard boo from them but it's funny yeah and you had a lot of great players um that went on to have great uh pro careers that played for you you want to talk about a few of those guys yeah you know what it's interesting it's it's a time where you you look at and i'll, I'll stay with a minnesota kid and tom pricing he's coming out of richfield or uh rosemont he, I mean, he had a comp split family so he was doing a little bit of both there yep. but he uh he comes in as a uh as a you know right out of grade 12 and he's playing his first year in the ushl he's a forward and nothing's happening for him and it's just and he gets into his second year so he's he's going 19 20 years old uh last year of uh, eligibility and we switch him to d and just from his hockey sense and his abilities but it was so gratifying to see so many players come through the older players, the guys that earn their scholarship as a 19, 20 year old, and then see them go to a college program, do unbelievably well, and then have an opportunity to play pro hockey and retire from it. That's where you're re- it's really gratifying to see players like that come through. And uh, another kid that ended up being someone I talked to probably on a weekly basis was Matt Green, yeah. uh, who obviously went to North Dakota, ends up winning. Uh, ends up going to LA and win a Stanley Cup, and he's now a, a scout, a full-time scout with their staff. So I, I cross paths with him quite a bit. But it, it's so cool to see those guys develop at a later age. It's so different than now, where the kids are you know, committed early, committed before they get to the USHL. The league at that time were was all about the older kids and have an opportunity to earn their scholarship down the road. Yeah, so the, the the league was barely, you know, it was kind of like a, a a second thought in in the in the mid '80s, in the '90s and early 2000s when you're coaching there. This is where kids would go earn a spot. Now kids have already gotten their spot. Is that speak to today's player a little bit as well? You we alluded to that a little bit earlier. Yeah, I think I think it's a combination. You know, I I think everything is sped up. It's kind of the society that we live in. We live in the fast food society. The everything now uh, or happens quickly and that's that's gone that's trickled right down to the athlete that we are dealing with today but the kids are so much further advanced than what they used to be um just better athletes better trained uh more focused on what they want to do eventually they they specialize in one sport i'd like to see it backed off a little bit but that's just my opinion but yep. um you know I, so they do specialize and they are further along there's no doubt about it they they're they're much further along they're they're way more talented uh some of the things that they can do at that age that you 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 would never see until they're 18 19 20 years old even if they're in college so um but that's just the society we live in so it's so different now but uh the kids are a little bit more focused now too i mean like you mentioned uh USHL hockey was an afterthought in the late 80s, mid 80s, even in the late 90s. It was yeah. still an afterthought. Most guys were thinking that they were coming out of Minnesota high school hockey and just going right into college. Yeah, it really didn't turn until a, until the early 2000s, I think. When the U.S. program hit. Yep, that's exactly. That's exactly when it turned. All right, so you win a Clark Cup. Uh, you win the, the league title. This is yours. You're, this is your own title. You're the coach. You earned it. Uh, was this a big moment in your coaching career? Like, this is, this is kind of what I want to do the rest of my life? 
I think I knew I wanted to do it. I, I don't think it uh, had to be validated by winning a Clark Cup or winning an Eastern Championship or whatever we did there in yep. Green Bay. It was it was more about taking kids, and we always said it every day in the locker room, every single meeting that we ever had. Don't worry about winning. Winning will take care of itself. Let's improve as a player, and let's just worry about our skill development. Winning will take care of itself. Your scholarships will take care of itself. Let's just have the mentality to come in and let's develop every single day. And that, that for us, seeing that whether you hang a championship, you lose in the playoffs, uh, you have a great year and, and you don't walk away with a championship, um, there's a lot of different ways to measure success. And, and for us at the time, it was all about wanting our kids truly to develop their skill development, them as a hockey player, their future, where it could, where it could uh, you know, find their path, whether it was college, whether it was NHL. Uh, that's where it was so gratifying. So when you were, did you ever have years when you were coaching in the USHL? Because it's a little bit more of a developmental league than, than wins and losses. Did you ever have like more successful teams that might didn't win uh, a cup, but you had probably more developmental uh, success or sending more kids to Division One programs? Yeah, I think as it went on, I think the last probably three years that I was there, we had some unbelievably talented teams that just we didn't find a way to win. Uh, we didn't win the championship, didn't find a way to win or whatever. Something, something got in its way. Uh, but it started to get to the point then when you had some higher, highly touted kids before they were in the USHL um, that had their deals done. So that was an eye opener for me. And that was the beginnings of understanding of dealing with young kids that are already committed. They're highly touted. And now you have to deal with that. And, and it was probably the best education that I had on how things started to evolve and how it started to change more towards the younger kids uh, being committed and now dealing with that as well. All right. So you get after the USHL, you, you get a chance to go back to, to Madison for your first stint as an assistant coach. Uh, I think this is the regime that takes over after Sauer left, correct? Correct. All right. So it went, went Sauer to Eves, correct? And then you're on that yeah. staff from 2004 yeah, to I was, 2010. I came in. Mike Eves was there one year prior, okay. uh, so I came in one year after Mike took over from uh, Coach Sauer. And 2006 is, is a pretty fascinating tale because it's, it's, I mean, you're national champions, no one will take that ring off your finger. But that wasn't, I mean, that wasn't the greatest team that you coached out of the ones. I mean, as far as on paper and talent and wins and losses and titles, but you found a way. We found a way. We had, uh, first of all, it started in our goaltender with our goaltender. Brian Elliott was phenomenal. Right. Probably should, I mean, probably should have won Hobie Baker. Can't take it away from Matt Carroll winning, but Brian was phenomenal and easily deserving to win Hobie. Uh, so it started there. But uh, more so than that, we had unbelievable leadership. Uh, Adam Burris was our captain. I had him for two years in Green Bay. Uh, and then he was misfortune to have me move to Madison, have him again. So, right. uh, but he was an unbelievable leader, knew how to communicate with, uh, coach Eves, uh, say some hard things back and forth with coach Eves, but also had the locker room. And then he had a supporting cast within that, within that locker room. They're unbelievable in terms of leadership down the road, Tommy Gilbert, um, and Joe Pavelski, unbelievable leaders, Jake Dowell, unbelievable leaders. So it was, there were a lot of leaders in that room. And then, then Robbie Earl was kind of like the, the lightning rod. I mean, he, he just got things done, didn't he? He was a talent. You know, <laughs> there's, your, there's your talent. There's, um, Burris didn't have talent. Burris' talent was he is a hard worker, going to go through the wall, going to have a never-ending mentality. Uh, Robbie Earl had talent. And that, uh, he, needed, he needed someone to keep him somewhat grounded, give him direction like Adam did. And, uh, you know, so it was a great combination of those two. What a, uh, the last thing I want to say about this team is that you never had to leave the state of Wisconsin to win the national championship. Your regional was in Green Bay and the, the national championship was played in Milwaukee. Yeah, I don't know. Our athletic department deserves a lot of credit for pulling that off. But that, you talk about what an, what an advantage. I mean, to be able to play in Green Bay where a lot of those kids all played. Yes. Um, not necessarily for the gamblers, but they, you know, they played in the building. So they, they were familiar with the boards and the building, the whole deal, right? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Now you couple that with the place being uh, full of red and white. Uh, and then you go to Milwaukee where a lot of, a lot of kids played or skated at one time or another. And then again, the building's full of red and white. So it was uh, it was a great experience. 
Yeah, all right. So you, you besides uh, the, the national championships and stuff like that, you also got to coach in uh, – you've, you've coached on the uh, world, world Junior Team and the Worlds as well. So it's not just college. It's not just USHL. It's, you, your, your experience is very, very vast. 2010, uh, you coached uh, – uh, the, 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 I think that might have been the first World Junior Championship team that the U.S. has won in 2010 in Saskatoon, right? Second, that was second. the second one. Okay. Yeah, second one. So that that 2010 was with Dean Blaze uh, and Tommy Ward on the staff there, and uh, what a what a blast that was up in Saskatoon to be able to do that uh, in a great environment. Saskatoon did an unreal job hosting it there. Hockey Canada did, but mm-hmm. it is that was so much fun to be able to go there and win. Uh, it was an unreal experience. There's a lot of Minnesota blood on that on that staff, isn't there? Yeah, just a bit. Yeah, yeah, just a bit. Unreal coaches. I mean, you'd look at Dean Blade, Hall of Famer. I think Tommy Ward's one of the best coaches I've ever been around, and I learned a ton from him. Uh, so it was fun to just be there and somewhat be a fly on the wall and be able to learn from those two guys. A funny story from that from that tournament. Dean Blaze already had a had a little bit of an attitude towards John Carlson at the time because he was signed. Right, he signed out the USHL. Signed. He was in Hershey, and so he he didn't come to camp and he didn't come to the start of the tournament. And so Dean was like, wow, oh, this guy's too high and mighty. He's way ahead of the team. And so now you get into a game and uh, he was trying to flip the puck. He got caught out there in a second period, long, long change for a defenseman. And he got caught and flipped the puck out of the zone three different times and turned the thing over into scoring chances. And Dean Blaze was just staring at me. All I could see is his, his gold tooth staring at me. Yeah. And don't ever put him back on the ice. He comes down and punches me so hard in the shoulder. I had black and blue. A bruise on my shoulder for the rest of the term. It was incredible. <laughs> All right, so in 2013, you also get the chance to go to UFA. Now, this is the team that Phil Housley coached with, I think, Grant Patoni was on that team as well, right? Coaching staff. Yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah, correct. Um, any great memories of going to UFA? I'm sure that wasn't an easy place to get to. <laughs> no, it was a uh, funny story there is we went to Finland, to Helsinki, to do our training camp, and then we were chartering a plane with Canada, Sweden, us and Finland uh, to go from Helsinki to Ufa, which is like an eight hour plane ride. Uh, so it's not super convenient. We get to Ufa and we're all fired up. The whole team's getting ready for the first skate on the, the, the sheet that we're going to be uh, playing our, our round robin. And, and we get there and the whole coaching staff <laughs> equipment and bags and skates and everything was left in Helsinki. No. We, had no, we had no gear. We're rummaging through bags and trying to find skates that fit gloves, sticks, whatever, but we didn't have our gear and leave it to uh, Jimmy Johansson was one of the best at just dealing with adversity. He found a way to get our gear the next day. So we only missed one day without our gear from Helsinki to Ufa, which at that time was in the middle of nowhere. Did you coach in tennis shoes or what did you do? No, we, we borrowed skates. We found some other guys, different, different skates that didn't fit and we were able to go out there and make make do for the one practice oh that's funny that's a good one um okay so now you go from um coaching you know we we skipped ahead a little bit to to the ufa now you've been at ohio you've been at uh wisconsin and now you get your kind of the dream job you get it you get the coach division one coaching job at ohio state walk through the process of getting hired and what that was like and then being the ceo of a, of a college hockey program yeah going through that was interesting because he didn't know i mean I, I guess i didn't even really uh spend too much time worrying about it whether it was going to be offered or not you did a little bit of education on it and and then you try to weigh it out is it going to be a good opportunity or not and something that you could make work. And, and so going through that was a, a great experience. I think I got the best advice from, from Dean Blaze at the time was you're not going in to, to be interviewed, you're interviewing now. And so that was the mentality that I had going in. And now you get the opportunity to be there and, and to get the experience of, of coaching a college program. Uh, like you said, you're, you're in charge, you're CEO of a corporation or however you want to put it. It was a great experience. I mean, something that, that is invaluable in terms of coaching for your future so it was a really really good experience and you're on pretty firm ground at this point you're 2010 you your team just was a runner-up and you had a Hobie Baker winner and you had a couple also rands from Minnesota named Derek Stepan and Ryan McDonough on your team so this is you're in pretty firm ground at Wisconsin so you don't have to go grab anything so go into the decision of actually taking the job at Ohio State 
Yeah, I think you're just looking at it. And again, you try to weigh it out. If I ask my media family or my wife and kids, they didn't want to move. They, they, there's no chance they wanted to make any kind of move. Uh, but then if you talk to people in coaching, they're like, well, you got to make a move. It's probably going to be risky, but you got to make a move and, and try it and, and see what happens. You're always going to land on your feet somewhere. And in terms of coaching, you're always going to have to somewhat be a little bit of a suitcase yeah. Um, and, and, and see and get different experiences. That's the only way you can have, make it work. And you got to ha- take a chance here and there. And, uh, even, even like after the Ohio state thing, I, I didn't know what, I, what direction I was going to go, where I was going to go. I had a few different opportunities in college, I had a few different opportunities in pro. And I ended up choosing the pro side of it, uh, just because I looked at the Chicago Blackhawks as being a great opportunity. So right. I think you always have to look at things in terms of opportunity. Well, talk about your black book. I mean, you're you're now now you're writing the people are writing black books off of you because you're the head coach now at Ohio State, and then you move to the the Blackhawks, and you have Joel Quinville and just a variety of great people to learn from in that organization. Well, that that experience was incredible. I think that's another level that my coaching went to a way different direction. I mean, you have an opportunity to learn under Joel Quinville, one of the best coaches of all time. But then you have Stan Bowman, Norm McIver, um, you're working in development side of things, but now you you have Scotty Bowman around. I mean, it, here's a guy that I, I, we, we text at least once a week to this to this day since my time from uh, my time with the Hawks, uh, just to pick his brain on hockey. And I took full advantage of that going into every single playoff game, trying to get there early and spend a couple hours talking hockey with Scotty is unbelievable experience. Well, this is a, this is really cool. So now, now we're back at Wisconsin. Um, yeah, you guys form, uh, the, the, uh, athletic director, um, forms probably the dream team of college coaching. I mean, when, when I saw the, 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 uh, the Granado brothers and Osiki coming to coach at Wisconsin, what was the what was your feeling like when that kind of all kind of came together? Well, I mean, it obviously Barry Barry called and and somewhat got this going, and then it was going down the path that Tony was going to come back and coach. He wanted to know if Donnie and I would come. And I mentioned it earlier; I've known the Granado family since grade eight, so yeah, it's a it's a it was a situation where I felt like it was family. Uh, and then you couple it with family that how I felt about Badgers and, and the athletic department, how they create such a family feel. So it was an absolute dream situation in terms of coming back to a family with a family. Um, it was, it was really easy to decide. And then the unfortunate part is Donnie ended up picking up and moving and going with the Blackhawks at, right. after one year. So I was a little disappointed in terms selfishly. I wanted to be around Donnie right. uh, longer. Uh, but hats off to him. He's an unbelievable coach and great friend and certainly totally understand his situation. So, but what, what an opportunity to have be able to come back uh, to Wisconsin with uh, such a close friends that, that, that we have. Now you have obviously since Donnie left, uh, Mark Strobel came in another former Badger and a, a guy with a lot of great coaching experience. What's the, what's the chemistry like between the three of you, Tony, Mark, and yourself? I mean, I know all three, and it's, it's type A. I mean, all three of you guys are type A. Uh, how does that work as a staff? Yeah, I think it's pretty simple. I think we're, we're all similar in, in how, how – And it's no knock. Them. I'm just saying. It's no, just it's no. like I know you guys. This is some personality in the room, let me tell you. Yeah. And I think everyone understands and, and, and we work well together. I think, you know, obviously you got Strobe, who's an unbelievably uh, energetic storyteller, uh, keeps us loose and, and laughing and uh, tone is in charge. Absolutely. And I guess I almost come the other side of it is try to try to be uh, just a part of it. And, and not, not saying I'm not a part of it, but it's a, it's one of those things where, you, you all have your strengths and weaknesses and you all fit this thing together. And we're, we're such a uh, puzzle that fits well together. We, we read off each other very well, uh, but it's certainly fun to be a part of. So let's take a look at uh, the Wisconsin staff, the, the, the Wisconsin roster, a little bit from a Minnesota perspective. I looked at your roster from last year. You had seven Minnesota kids and seven non-Wisconsin kids, seven Wisconsin kids, four from Europe and two from Canada. Let's start with Europe. What's the what? It, we're starting to see more of it as, as a gopher that you see Sample Ranta, who obviously was committed to you guys uh, due to some academic issues, couldn't attend there, but. 
What's the attraction to the European player? Is it is it is it the talent? Is it the ability to that they can come and play? What what? Let's start there. Well, I think I think if you go the other way and you look at uh, some of the some of the European players that are looking at the college route, are looking at the opportunity to come over here, whether it's uh, getting into the USHL or the different uh, junior leagues that are up in Canada or even the North American League, they're finding a way to get over here and to develop their game. Uh, but now it's become a little bit more of a two-way street getting into college. I don't think it was ever really looked upon as being a true opportunity, um, but now now it is an opportunity. We have we all have little a little bit more difficulties, like you said, with Champuranta, who we yeah we had and know their family unbelievably well. Spent over two years with him and unreal kid, unreal um, uh, family, uh, and, and obviously it's going to work out with him no matter where he's yeah. Gonna be. Um, but you all have different, we all, school-wise, you have all different uh, challenges of trying to um, get those players into your school and, and the requirements that are that are going down with it. So it, it makes a little bit more of a challenge, but there's great opportunities for kids. Uh, I think we always have to be, it's a fine line, because how, how many European players do you want to have take away a U.S. opportunity for a U.S. kid? US, USA hockey is growing like crazy. There's a lot of talent all over the place from from border to border and it's it's fun to see and have those kids have the opportunity to play college hockey so it's a fine line how many opportunities you want to take away with a european player when you do recruit a european player and you go you obviously have to go over and watch them play is it harder to compare a european 17 18 19 year old kid it's easy you go you're you're used to watching u.s minnesota high school hockey or u18 hockey or u16 hockey you kind of have a good comparison especially ushl but you get over there and the and the ages are different is it is it is it easy to spot the players or is it harder no it's it, a hockey player is a hockey player so it really doesn't change i mean you, you're still going to see certain aspects of his talents uh hockey sense competitiveness uh those are pretty pretty clear top to bottom no matter where you're watching now you have to compare the styles of play and some different things there it might make it a little bit more difficult on that side of it but the competitiveness and the hockey sense of it, it's all very similar all right, let's talk Wisconsin guys. You have seven Wisconsin guys, obviously a first-round draft pick with, with Cole Caulfield. Is this is this the norm? Is this the new normal for Wisconsin to have seven or eight kids from in-state playing for your team? Well, I look back at, uh, yeah, we've all, we've talked about it. We've, we've made a very uh, pointed effort uh, in talking about it. Uh, you look back in, in 90 when we won a championship here, we had numerous Wisconsin mm-hmm. uh, players on our roster. Robbie Andringa, one of them. Robbie Andringa, John Bice, Dennis yep. Nedden. You know, so it, it, the, the, the key contributors, a lot of were Wisconsin players. Then you fast forward, you go to the 06 year. Um, we had Wisconsin players that were key factors in it. Uh, and then the and one that wasn't from Wisconsin playing for Minnesota. You remember that whole ordeal with Phil Kessel? <laughs> yeah, it was correct. almost like yeah. a blessing, wasn't it? In, in hindsight, right? Yeah, it was crazy. You knew you knew that if you had Skilly, Kessel wasn't coming. So it was one one or the other. So right. whoever was committing first, you're not getting the other one. Uh, just they, not that they have that much uh, hatred for each other or dislike, um, but it just it wasn't going to work one way right. or the other. Right. Right. But yeah, you know, you look at it now, there's, like I was just mentioning, there's so many good hockey players. Um, I think it's important for us to have the Wisconsin player because they have the passion. They understand Wisconsin hockey, and we just have to make sure we have that right player in our mix that was that are within our borders. All right. Um, and then you got kids, you know, you didn't. You obviously grew up here, and you're familiar with our, with our model, and maybe a little bit with the other models. You, you were in the USHL. You you have a pretty good idea about the you know the Detroit kids the the you have a lot of kids from Chicago on your team. That's a great little feeding uh, feeding uh, zone for you guys, considering there is no college hockey in Illinois. Yeah, you know what? It's nice that the Illinois programs obviously are. There's a couple of them that do unbelievably well, and the proximity for us uh, with the Chicago uh, players. Uh, but not only that, there's so many Chicago just students coming up, and so they know so many people that are coming to Madison. So certainly makes it a little bit easy easier for us to to attract a few of those players. Uh, much like the Minnesota player, and we've always been strong in Minnesota. You go way back. I remember uh, being at a uh, banquet with my dad and and her Brooks being the keynote speaker, and uh, it was down to the wire between Wisconsin and and uh, and Minnesota on Craig Norwich, and Norwich chose Wisconsin, and 
Uh, well, that was the end of Brooks's speech. So he got a phone call, and that was it. He's out of there. So, <laughs> he was one. Of, that was one heck of a talent. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, unbelievable. But nope. it, you know, it goes back to that battles with, you know, the the Minnesota kid. Uh, certain ones are going to choose the Gophers for sure, uh, and they should. I mean, they they know where they want to be, and that that's that's what that's half the battle. So, and then you have to find the next players that want to be Badgers. So. Uh, but we always have to have strong ties in Minnesota. Which is a great segue into your current roster. There were uh, seven. Well, here's another one uh, before we get into the Minnesota. How many brother pairs did you have last year? You had the Doogies, the Donovans, and the Caulfields. Is is that good for the team, bad for the team, is, or is it just dumb luck? I think we filled our quota with that. <laughs> <laughs> I think you uh, have, too. Yeah, it's just funny how it worked out. But, yeah, we filled our quota with that. Okay, all right, good deal. Um, so Minnesota kids, we, we'll probably have some Minnesota kids listening to this show. And, and obviously Roman Sean and and S and, and Vorlicky, these are kids that are – and Ryder Donovan, these are kids that are going to be big contributors for you guys next year. Talk about the – what you see now after being around the world and back a couple different times, uh, what's, what's the value that Minnesota kids bring to your program? Passion. You know, I think most kids that are growing up in Minnesota are going to bring passion and uh, hockey's a way of life in Minnesota. Uh, obviously there's other sports in the state, but hockey's still my opinion, number one. And, you know, it's a, it's a, you may as well draw the line in Canada right around Minnesota. I think that's the similar feeling that they have. You, you look at these kids that whether they're growing up in their, uh, you know, home community, they grow up with the whole people, uh, all their teammates, classmates, all the way through. It feels like Canada that way. Like we're so passionate about their their team and their program and the, the, the wants of not disappointing anybody and, and the push from the parents and the, the fans for the kid to do well. Uh, that's what Minnesota brings. My, my opinion, it's, it's big time passion for the game. Oh, that's a that's a good way to describe it. That's that's the way we live. It's it's, it's kind of a way of life here in Minnesota. Is is hockey? Yeah, correct. I never I never saw a basketball game. Believe it or not, I never saw it until my second year in college. So it's, really it's crazy. Yeah, it's it's crazy, it's crazy, crazy. Like I I I've told my wife was from Milwaukee. She never saw a hockey game until she got to college. So there's such a different, drastic change. I mean, and Milwaukee had hockey. You know, it's just yeah. You know, Milwaukee was more basketball-minded, um, and Minnesota, obviously, hockey's a way of life. I never thought my mother-in-law would make the podcast, but she did just now. She's My wife's from Madison, and, and she never would go to the first period of the Badger games. I'm like, why do you always show up at the— why do you always show up in the second period? She goes, ah, I like two halves, not not three periods. So I just would always show up in the second period. That's I the that's me- the mindset of people in Wisconsin, right? Uh, well, I thought I thought you were gonna say she was down in the beer garden for the first. Oh, that period. too, for sure. She was she was definitely in the beer garden between the second and third period. No, no doubt about it. those were some good old days. Let me tell you, wow. Um, I got a few more here. These are more coaches, trends, and stuff like that. I want, I, and this came up uh, pre-show, and it was agents. We just talked about agents. We didn't like ripping on agents, and I want to talk about the role as a college coach and agents. We can't, we can, you and I can call them agents, but they're technically called advisors, right? But, but for lack of a term, they they want to be their agent when they sign a contract. What is the role of, in your eyes, and your daily basis with agents? So I, I'm going to answer this two different ways. One, right, one is the, the fir- first way for me to answer it is just like my relationship or our relationship with agents. Yeah, you, you, we have a relationship with all agents. Absolutely. I think they understand that we're trying to build a program. They're trying to build a client base and they want what's best for their client. We're trying to build a program and we want what's best for our program. Um, so it, 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 we understand the gives and takes there. And I think that we have to have an, a, a pretty open conversation with all agents about what we see in their client. And uh, I think Tony does a great job communicating with all agents, uh, keeping the, the door open, uh, having a great open line of con- communication, but also in our building, they're, they're around a lot and in our locker room in terms of the coaches area. And, you know, you try to keep them very close. I think that's important. Um, you know, I, the other side of this in terms of answering, I always, because this question used to get brought up at the time when agents were just starting to get into having some more kids committed at a younger age right. or maybe they're, they're waiting until they're, you know, junior, senior year of college to get into the game. And Mike Eves used to talk about it with his two sons 
Uh, obviously, you had Patrick, who's a first round pick, and then Ben Eves, who, you know, was a free agent. And uh, so he, he talked about it very openly uh, from a family standpoint with two kids at two different levels. He's a Ben, Ben didn't need anything. He didn't need an agent until he was his, his uh, senior year in college. And then he right. needed an agent to explore what options could be out there prior, uh, you know, post-college. Right. Pat Patrick, on the other hand, being a first rounder, they did need to seek out an agent and some advice because they, they you know, the pressures of first round and what comes with it, he did need some advice. So I always thought that was a pretty good way of looking at it. Um, you know, if you're, if you're a first rounder or are highly touted, you're going to have a little bit more interest and probably need a little bit more, uh, direction or advice. Uh, if not just slow down and there's no, no hurry to rush out and, and obtain an agent or a family advisor. This is a broad scape scope, uh, statement and, and agents fit into this scope. Uh, parents, family, agents are also talking are in your player's ear um you have to tell you're telling them about the abcs of of the game and what's important to wisconsin hockey but they're also getting their they're getting other information maybe even social media put into that how do you fight that as a as a coach yeah i think it's just noise i think you gotta talk about it as being noise because it's always been there obviously it's just changed now with social media where it's more accessible to everybody instantly Right. Uh, and then the, then the role of the, the, the agent, the family advisor is there, but that's really an extension of the family for the most part. Um, you know, they're going to, they're, unless you're going to be really honest and straightforward, a lot of agents, some, some will be a little bit more straightforward than others uh, outside of that. It's, they're more like a family member. And I think that it's always been there. It's just now it's a little bit more vocal. All right. Uh, one more topic I want to throw at you is the NTDP in Minnesota. It's 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 kind of like a, a white elephant. Like you know, you get two or three kids from Minnesota that will go there every year, and it, it's just looked at and somewhat frowned upon in some ways. In some ways, it's looked at as the greatest thing since sliced bread. And then if you get a kid from Chicago or Detroit or Boston, and they and they make this team, uh, it's a big deal, and it's it's the it's the great single greatest avenue to college hockey and uh, NHL contract. What's your take on it being from Minnesota coaching at Wisconsin? Well, I think there, there's different paths for everybody. I, I look back at my time in Green Bay and that's when that uh, program first started and Jeff Jackson and we, we had a really co- close relationship and did a lot of inner inner scrimmages with them prior to the year, kind of a preseason deal. Um, but I think at that time, that's when it really started to change where you know, you took basically at the time they took 50 kids from New England, 50 kids from Minnesota, right? You know, r- round numbers. And the, the, the kids that were right on the bubble, that's where th- you saw things change. So you, you weren't, in, you weren't invited to the program. Um, but now their parents, uh, the player, um, somewhat the family advisors eventually, once they became involved, they're going, well, I'm every good as every bit as talented or as uh, good of, as the player, Johnny going to the program. I want to look to go to the USHL, North American League, BC, Alberta, whatever. So it's sped everything up. Um, I think USA Hockey has done a really good job with that program in terms of, um, you know, developing hockey players, developing their talent, maybe even set aside the hockey side of it, the, the skill, the skill side of it. Um, then there's the team aspect of it. But the skill side, certainly they improve their skills off the chart. Uh, their training habits, obviously, that's all they're doing. They're their hockey 24-7 mixed in with some school um you know so it, it they're certainly doing a great job and and developing hockey players and then promoting it certainly you saw it last year in the draft right the, the, the amount of the draft so that that's a big part of it for them um but they've done a really good job with that now it's it, it's not for everybody i mean that, that, that program at times you could go in there and be an eighth defenseman uh, all the way through and never have a chance to get out of that that pigeonhole and so now it's really tough, but I think the way that player has to look at it is going, okay, it's going to be tough, but I got to look at it the other side and I got to make the most out of it. My daily, my daily habits, my daily practice habits, my training that I can put into it. Uh, and they got to understand that it might be a little bit slower for them. So they try not to turn that into a negative that I, oh, geez, I was a eight, eight defense where I got sent to the U 17 team. Right. Uh, I got to make the most of it. So, but, you know, no different than a forward. If you're not in the top six, a lot of people say, well, it's not beneficial to anybody. Well, it d- depends on how you look at it. Right. Um, certainly, if you're 
if you're going to play power play penalty kill uh, through grade 12 and have those opportunities, it's just going to help your game and it's going to help your confidence. I always liked how Donnie, when Donnie Granado was there coaching uh, before set aside the tournaments, when they built up to the different events, national events or European or international, right. Anything, yeah. a little bit different, but up until that point, he literally would take, okay, your, your first two lines for two weeks, Next week, your third and fourth line. So they just flip it. And yeah, it'd be a great power, experience power for them too, kill. right? Yeah, power play, penalty kill, same thing. All right, your power play for two weeks. Uh, next week, your penalty killing for two weeks. So it, it was a really good way to look at it, and, and it was a true way of trying to develop everybody. And then when it came down to the international events, then they pare it down, and all right, boys, we're playing to win. So it was a really good way to look at it. So last question before we wrap it up here, and, and this is kind of a – Kind of, a, a, I call it the hockey blue bloods, right? You have North Dakota and in, in the Western U.S. You have North Dakota, Minnesota, Wisconsin, and now UMD to some degree. Um, kind of, they get they get your pick of the litter recruiting wise. Um, how do you how do you use that to your advantage? And and what are some of the the, the pitfalls of 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 what goes into being a blue blood? Because it's not easy, right? I mean, you look at you know some of these smaller schools having such success. Yeah, definitely not easy. Obviously, you look at us. We're we we're in year four, and obviously we'd be like like to have a better result this past year. But the challenges that happen, and you look at, I think Duluth's a great model, and they're certainly a blue blood. But you look at uh, their model, where they have a mixture of high end players coming in, maybe some younger kids that are coming in, mixed in with the older player coming in. So it's such a balancing act of you. You just saw it with our program. You saw two players come in, uh, and and one we kept, one signed, and and one played two years and out. And yeah. you don't really see, you don't really see their talents come through where it's going to help the program all that much. And unless it's established where Duluth, I look at their, their roster in North Dakota. Now, certainly they're they They had that one year where you'd call the one year down, but they've, right. they've always been pretty consistent. Um, but it, it's such a, a balancing act of having that young talent coming in, but you have to have the older kids there that can uh, be the leaders, be the culture, uh, be the stability, be the foundation of the program, and that's the whole balancing act. It's tricky. I mean, like like you talked about, you you know, um, you have uh, Keandre Miller who left after after two years. Turcotte left after this year. Could you imagine how great your team would be next year with Cole Caulfield? I mean, and you can only say what if, right? And what sure. if doesn't pay your paycheck, right? Winning no, hockey no. games pays your paycheck, so you have to figure out what that formula is going to be, right? And it is a mixed bag with that, you know, like that, that's the balancing act, especially, I mean, we, we talked about Wisconsin hockey and I only can speak to North Dakota because I've there one year. I know the fans, you know, certainly here in Madison or in the state of Wisconsin, they want to see the Chris Chelioses. They, they do. They, yeah. they want to be able to see the player that has come in, uh, might not be there for all that long, but they also want to be able to follow them uh, in their NHL career or their pro career. So, you know, you don't need to necessarily talk about it too much right now in terms of the NHL, but, that's always in the back of your mind. I mean, they, they, our fans certainly want to see the Pavelskis coming in and out and they want to be able to follow Badger hockey and be able to hang their hat on Badger hockey uh, with an NHL player. So that's such a balancing act. So two seniors leave, uh, two seniors on the roster last year and then two NHL departures. That's got to be pretty exciting to, to get lined up next September when you guys uh, open the season. Absolutely. We feel like that we have leadership uh, and we have established now the, the and it's just run its course. It's a evolution over time, but the uh, junior seniors. And uh, so now you feel stable uh, with that junior senior class. Absolutely. And then you mix in with some players coming in. So it, it should be a lot of fun. It's, it certainly feels good right now. Uh, every, everyone feels good until you drop the puck in October, but um, it does feel good right now. So two more. I, I have you down for two more Minnesota kids coming in next year. You have a goaltender, Ben Garrity, from Rosemount, and Luke Lamaster from Duluth East. What will they bring to your program uh, next fall? Again, unreal culture. Um, they are workers. Uh, parents are phenomenal, so their ba- their family backgrounds outstanding. I think they both had to battle through um you know fight their way claw. i mean they just had to fight and claw their way through so that that you look at uh mankato you look at what minnesota state's done there where they end up having some of the older players that have to fight and claw their way through that's what that's what luke is going to bring that's what benny's going to bring great families uh should be fun uh having them in the locker room but they're going to add that work 
that work habit right away. That should be a lot of fun. Well, look at that, Mark. We got through in just a, just over an hour, and it was hard. There was a lot of things we had to throw, <laughs> ditch aside in your long coaching and, and playing career. At, um, and I, I had a blast just getting to know who you were and, and what you have done for the game of hockey and, and meant to Minnesota and Wisconsin hockey, for that matter. I really appreciate your time here on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's kind of fun talking about all the all the different people and uh, personalities that have had a great influence on my uh, hockey. What do you want to call a career or whatnot? But certainly in my coaching side of it, it's it's really fun to reflect on all the different people that have helped me along the way. And we just scratched the surface. We could have gone for another hour or two. It's, this was a blast. I appreciate you coming on. Yeah, absolutely, anytime. All right, you've you've listened to today's pizza podcast sponsored by Lots of Mots Pizza. Thanks for tuning in today's show.